Hello everyone and welcome to today's special version of Benoa High, the podcast in special partnership with Benoa Redback News. In today's episode, an exclusive interview with Benoa State High School's executive principal, Mr. Ricard, all thanks to Thomas and the team here at Benoa High, the podcast and Redback News. It's over to you, Thomas. Hi everyone, my name's Thomas and I'm the executive producer of Benoa High, the podcast, the student podcast here at Benoa. Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this interview takes place and acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. And I know Mr. Rickard will share in this acknowledgement. As you all would know, Mr. Rickard is the executive principal here at Benoa and the work he does in this school is extensive. So I'm hoping this interview will allow us to gain a better understanding of what he does and learn a little bit about him too. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us today. How are you? Yeah, great, Thomas. Great to be here. Thanks very much. Great opportunity. I have a few questions prepared, so let's put some into into this interview. Let's put me out of the pump. Let's go. What year did you come to Benoa? Well, the story is I was actually here as a teacher for many years, which I don't think people would know. So I came here in 1988 and then left in about 97 to go off and become a deputy in another school, then came back as principal in 2004. So this current stretch is about 17 or 18 years as principal, which is a long time in a public school in Queensland. So you mentioned you were a teacher before you yes. obviously became a principal. What did you teach? Yes, I was actually primary trained. So I was a primary school principal of all places over here at Benoa Primary School for many years. Then when I came here, a little bit of mathematics and geography, but I'd had a family background in boating all my life and still do. So I sort of got, I sort of careered over towards, um, I guess, marine studies, marine sciences. So most of my life here was boating, fishing, diving, sailing. It was just extraordinary as, as a profession, but definitely sort of the science area, I'd have to say. Yeah, I love the science area. <laughs> um, can you give us a quick overview of Benoa this year? Like how many students we have, different yeah. cultures, things like that? So we continue to grow. So we've gone and we have what we call a day eight number where each year the school's numbers determine the size of its staffing and its budget allocation. So in, on the 8th of February, we went into about 2020, about 2020 students, which has been the same number now for the last couple of years, which is really quite an extraordinary thing because we actually have students coming to us from 58 different primary schools. So from Tweed Heads to Hope Island. So it's quite an extraordinary thing for a public school to do that anywhere in Queensland, to be honest. Um, but look, the ethnicities, probably around the 60-odd different ethnicities that people identify with here, which is fantastic because we just love that dimension of the school. When I first came here, it wasn't like that at all, which has been quite a dramatic change. Uh, and I think at the end of it, um, probably probably another complex year because of all of our accreditation processes this year with the Council of International School, the International Baccalaureate, then also our own government um, Bureau of, of, of Work, I guess, they're also involved in us, the Education Improvement Branch. So we've got a complex year in terms of our processes, but it's a fabulous year because it makes us look deep within what we do here and makes us justify our work. And of course, in doing that, we bring a lot more parents and students into the fold of, I guess, the life of Benoa. What's something you do outside of school? like a hobby, for example, you mentioned boating. So I'm assuming it's going to be something like that. Yeah, look, we, we've, we've got a strong boating background. So we, we have um, we have a large boat we're out on most weekends. But I have another passion. Um, I've been a kayaker for most of my adult life, a competitive kayaker. So I've competed in a number of world championships as an Australian representative and really, really love that. Um, ironically, COVID has stopped us from competing overseas. And my goal this year had been to compete with my wife in a K2 in a mixed event. Um, in a world championship, but hopefully we get to do that next year. So that's probably, I'm probably on the water maybe six days a week training, 
So that's always been a big part of my, my most recent life. But yeah, anything to do with water, I'd say is a passion. Who knew? The <laughs> principles all <laughs> into boats. Uh, um, what's your favourite thing about Benoa and why is that your favourite? I think this school has a wonderful sense of belonging. And I think as I, as I move around the school, you know, students are always very friendly. The staff are always very friendly. And, and it's a funny thing about when you've been an educator like I have now for so long. You can walk into a school and almost immediately you get a feeling for the school. When I ask people about that feeling when they come here, they always say the place is just incredibly calm and respectful and supportive and it's just got a really lovely feel. So I think, I think a lot of it's based on, I think there's a strong sense for everyone here that we belong here. This is a place where we feel safe and comfortable. It's a workplace. So I'd say that belonging is a big one for me. We'll touch on the belonging a little bit later on in some of these questions, but for now, what does it mean for Benoa to be recognised nationally and globally for a range of areas, not just academics, but sports as well? Look, it's always been about opportunity, in my view, and we've sourced all sorts of opportunities to be associated with organisations that are based in other parts of the world so that the students can do things like get entrance to a university in the United Kingdom or get an opportunity to go and be a, you know, a sports star in the US collegiate program. It's always been looking sort of beyond the border for opportunity. But I think it's also about understanding, as we've all seen since COVID, etc., how global we really are. And the fact that the more we can connect our students here internationally, I think, I think as global citizens then, I think that's a much brighter, more prospective sort of young person. What are some of the best things, some of the most notable things students have done at Benoa in the past? Look, I think, I think across our three areas of, of, of enrolment here, if you, if you look at academic excellence, if you look at sport, you look at culture, there are examples of extraordinary individual, individual achievement in all of those. And we know that one of our young ladies now, just from two years ago, has just made the Olympic team for Tokyo. Um, and I know quite a few of the kayak guys are paddled with who are part of the Olympic team as well. So there's always that high-profile sports person. Or, you know, we've got some amazing uh, academic outcomes. We've got some of our students are just really prominent barristers in, in federal courts in Australia, or they, they're CEOs of large corporations. We've got the wonderful musicians. Uh, but, but at the end of it, it, I think it's more about every young person achieving success here. And often it's not a big thing that makes that person's success so special. It can be a small thing that comparatively, but for that person, it's been something they've wanted to be able to do for a really long time. And in their time here, they've succeeded in doing it. So celebrating everyone's success, no matter how large or small, I think that's probably, a, that's a big ticket item. Yeah. So you can speak to basically any teacher that's been here for a long time, and I'm sure all of them would be able to say, this is someone famous. I remember teaching him. I remember when she was here at the school. And I think that's something that's really special that we have at the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some, there's some notable notable questions around that because you get all sorts of people who've done all sorts of things in life, most of it good, fortunately. Um, but yeah, there's always some big names. But I think I think once you have, once the school can profile, you know, an ambassador, someone who's represented the school well and, and, you know, there's a strong sense of connection to the school, I think that's fabulous for everyone else who's here. And if there's a chance to aspire towards something and, and, and to be able to have a dream and say, hey, look, I'm going to have a crack at that. And I, I think having being able to identify those people who've done particularly well since leaving the school. Because I often meet people, and students in the street for years after I finish year 12, and they'll always say things they remember most. You probably need to guess what it is. But it seems like the roof trip. But then everyone always remembers their favourite teacher. Yeah. So I think those two things are pretty common. Um, the, di the diversity policy is something that the Student Forum is working on this year and you touched on belonging before. Yeah. Um, what do you think this diversity policy will mean for the school community? 
Look, it's really significant, and I, I think that I think that people like me who, who grew up in a generation of homophobia have no sense of how significant it is to make sure that acceptance, uh, not tolerance, but acceptance, is a key fabric of, of institutions like schools. And I, and I think where young people have a chance to contribute to the development of policy and practice, it's got more chance of A, being relevant, because someone like me is old, how relevant am I really in some of this stuff? But having a sense of relevancy, I think by involving students in the development of those sorts of plans and actions, it, it again, it brings everyone in together. And, and look, the world's changing, and 10 years ago it was something else. This year it might be diversity policy. In three or four years' time it's gonna be something else. But the core of it is to get people engaged as much as you can to be collaborating and consulting together. That's what makes a great school. Now, this is my fourth year here at school, and I've seen a lot of changes in just the time that I've been here, but how has the ch school changed over like the past 10 years? Look, I think, I think one of the big differences is the sort of students who are in our school. So we have uh, an enrolment policy and an enrolment management plan that most people I think in the community would be aware of. It's one of the most unusual in the state because over 70% of our students come from out of catchment, which means that in order to even get a spot in the school, you've got to be able to demonstrate that you're a great student across whether it be sport, academia or culture. So the quality of young person who's in their school is really extraordinary before they even start here. So I think collectively the type of young person that's in the school um, has just continued to become like just, just amazing. But then what has to match that, of course, is our response to the needs of that learner. So we also have to accept that as we have better and brighter students here, we also have to ensure that everything we do as teachers and admin staff supports young people um, in what I would call a value proposition. Because if someone comes in here bright, at the time they leave, we have to have added to that value, not just say, well, you're already bright, that'll be okay. Yeah. And I, I think that's always going to be the challenge for us just to make sure we're very much on the edge of what else can we do for young people. Where do you see the school in 10 years from now, or just education in general? What do you think is going to change over the coming decade? I think, I think there's going to be a huge shift in, in opportunity for young people in terms of vocation. So whilst we, we hear lots about math sciences and technology and STEM at the moment, we know that human sciences and service industries will become even more important, particularly post-COVID. And that has some years to go, obviously, you know, across the world. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift around behavioural sciences, around you know, the roles that young people play as they head into the workforce. So I think that we are going to have to be more adaptable as a school to try and shape up opportunity here for what's actually available for kids. But I have to also say, just a few years ago, there was always a statement about, you know, we're shaping up young people for jobs that don't exist yet. That's more true now than ever. So even if you look at, you know, some of the 3D printing stuff, some of the manufacturing stuff that's available through technology, all of those, those possibilities, I think it still needs us though as a school to make sure that we, we've got the basics right. You know, it's really great literacy, really great numeracy. Um, I have to share that I have four kids. I raise them all to be forthright young people. Don't just accept something because someone says it. I've always had a strong sense of that as a school, to be, for students to be forthright and to be, to be willing to, to look deeply into things and get a strong sense of what's the opportunity for you. So that's probably how I feel about that. If teaching is a superpower, and all teachers have that superpower, but is there a superpower that you perhaps would like other than teaching? Because teaching can be really difficult at times. Um, so what's something else that you would you, you aspire to do? Yeah, I've got a really strong sense of speed. So that's a bit interesting. So as a young person, um, towards grade 10, 11, my goal was to fly jets for the RLF. 
So this, and I love that whole thing, but with very poor eyesight, that wasn't able to happen. But in my lifetime, I've owned very fast boats, very, very fast um, cars. I have a very fast jet ski at the moment. So that idea of that blinding acceleration in a very legal way. Um, so I love the idea of speed. So yes, my superpower would be able to just go flat out, speed of sound anywhere, anytime. Um, to finish up, Thank you for taking this opportunity to talk sure. to us. But if you could get one message out to the school using this platform, what would it be? Very easy one for me. It would be dream big. And I'd say to young people in our school, um, don't, don't limit your thinking by what you, you think you can have. And, often it, and what I mean by that is often people just think, well, that would never be possible for me. And my answer is don't ever think that. Always dream the biggest dream that you can and absolutely have a crack at it. And that's just a great way to live your life. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you. There you have it. The exclusive interview brought to you in partnership of Benoa High, the podcast, and Benoa Redback News. A big thank you to everyone who was involved in the process of this interview. Um, hopefully you got to know a bit more about Mr. Ricard and about the school if you didn't already. Don't forget, you can always follow us on Instagram at Benoa High, the podcast. Uh, or on Facebook at Benoa High the Podcast. You can also visit our website anytime, which is still open, www.benoahighthepodcast.com. And you can email us anytime. You just email hi at benoahighthepodcast.com. We will see you guys next week for our one-year anniversary of Benoa High the Podcast. A very special episode is coming up for you. Thanks, everyone.